اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم آیہ نمبر 69 وَتْلُ عَلَيْهِمْ and recite upon them نَبَأَ إِبْرَاهِيمْ the news of Ibrahim عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ وَتْلُ from Tilawa meaning O Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recite to your people the story the news of Ibrahim alayhi salam clarify the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam to your people so that they know who Ibrahim alayhi salam really was notice the word Naba it hasn't been said Qissa the story of Ibrahim rather Naba news of Ibrahim because Naba from the root letters Noon Ba Hamza Naba is used for important news which must be informed of meaning such information such news that a person must not conceal that a person must not keep to himself he must inform others about it and likewise Naba is also used for such news for which the listeners must be silent for. Meaning, when it is being narrated, when a person is being informed of this naba, people must listen silently, attentively. Why? So that they can take a lesson from it. Because when we are being informed of something, and we are talking at the same time, can we listen? No. And if we haven't listened properly, have we understood? No. If we haven't understood, can we benefit from that important information? No. Not at all. So it is necessary that for Naba, people must be silent and they must listen to it attentively. And remember that Naba is not used for just any information, just any news, which people don't care about. So the information, the news of Ibrahim salam is very important, very relevant for us. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling His Messenger that you must recite and clarify the news of Ibrahim salam to your people. Now, before the story of Ibrahim salam, in the previous ayat, we learned about who? Prophet Musa salam. If you think about it, who came first? Musa salam or Ibrahim salam? Ibrahim salam. In the following verses also we will see that the stories of the prophets are not mentioned chronologically. Why? Because the Qur'an is not just a book of facts. It is not just a book of information. Rather it is a book of ayat, of lessons, ibar. And this is the reason why at the end of every story we learn, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ Indeed, and this is surely a sign. So when we study this particular story of Ibrahim that is mentioned over here, let's just not look at it as, yeah, okay, I know this fact about the story. I know this about Ibrahim No, we have to focus on the lessons. So what alayhim naba'a Ibrahim. If qala, when he said, li'abihi wa qawmihi. Ibrahim said to his father and his people, what did he say to them? مَا تَعْبُدُونَ What do you worship? Meaning, what is it that you are worshipping? Now, Ibrahim saw his father worshipping idols. He saw his people worshipping idols. Wasn't it obvious to Ibrahim Then why is he asking his father and his people, what is it that you worship? What's the purpose of this question? To make them think about what they're doing. And notice over here, he begins with who? His father. First he asked his father, then he asked his people. Why father first? Li'abihi wa qawmihi. Why did he speak to his father first? Family first. Hmm? And then your greater circle. So it must begin at home. Whatever good it is, a person must begin at home. Qalu, they said, na'budu, we worship. Asnaman idols. Asnam plural of sanam. They said we worship idols. Fanawallu, so we remain. Nawallu from lil. Lil literally is shadow. But remember that the word walla, the verb walla, it means to continue to do something, to remain in a particular state, engaged in a certain action, and not move from it to something else. So فَنَظَلُّ We remain لَهَا for it meaning for the idols عَاكِفِينَ ones devoted عَاكِفِينَ plural of عَاكِف from عُكُوف اِعْتِكَاف also from the same root what is اِعْتِكَاف when you stay in the masjid in the last 10 days and nights of Ramadan you do not leave the masjid you remain there why? to worship so we remain 
in worship of these idols constantly meaning day and night in other words they're saying that these idols are the center of our lives these idols our life basically revolves around them now the question of ibrahim alayhisalam was not because he had no idea what the people were doing he asked them to make them think but it seems as though the people didn't quite understand the purpose of his question they just said we worship idols and we remain devoted to them so ibrahim alayhisalam he makes his questions more clear he says qala he said hal yasma'unakum do they hear you is tad'un is when tad'una you supplicate from the word dua his question was not what's the object of your worship his question was that are these beings really worthy of ibadah are these beings really worthy of worship when they didn't understand the purpose of the question ibrahim alayhisalam asks them more questions to make them think he asks do these idols hear you when you supplicate when you call upon them what do we learn from the way of ibrahim alayhisalam over here the way he's asking questions what do we understand that sometimes something might be very obvious to you if the other person doesn't get it what should you do simplify it for them simplify it for them break it down for them further so that they can understand so hal yasma'unakum is tad'un aw or yanfa'unakum do they benefit you meaning when you do worship them do they benefit you aw or yadurun they harm meaning if you leave them if you do not worship them do they harm you the fact is that this power is with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone which power that when we ask he hears and he is the one who can benefit and he is the one who can harm and he is the one who can protect us from harm also this is why after every salah what do we say allahumma la mani'a lima a'tayta oh allah no one can prevent that which you give wala mu'tiya lima mana'ta and no one can give that which you prevent qalu they said bal rather wajadna we found aba'ana our fathers our forefathers kadhalika yaf'alun thus they would do meaning the reason why we worship idols is simply because we found our forefathers doing this so what was their justification for worshiping idols what was their evidence what was the justification that we found our forefathers doing this and so we trust our forefathers what would you call this kind of faith blind faith isn't it and many times we see that people they are doing things blindly trusting who either their science textbook or their professors or some researcher as if they're god as if what they have said is the reality without even thinking about it logically analyzing it because if they truly use their mind and logically analyzed it it doesn't make sense you know recently i was watching this documentary i wish i had it right now i would have shown it to you it's lost somewhere in my phone it's a very small clip actually and in that basically this person is going around this university campus and asking people do you believe in evolution all right and everybody's like yes 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 right do you believe in it are you a believer in it yes 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 and then he asked them a couple of questions which leaves them confused and all those questions basically left the people speechless they couldn't come up with examples to prove the particular side of evolution that was being discussed and then he asked them isn't that blind faith and they're like yeah but we trust i trust my science book i trust the textbook i trust my professor is like this is blind faith and these are the same people looking down on people who believe in religion right that you have blind faith so really we need to think about it so we see ibrahim alayhi salam he said to his people what are you doing and what was their response this is what we found our forefathers doing this is the only reason behind our idol worship in surah az-zukhruf ayah 23 also we learn inna wajadna aba'ana ala ummatin wa inna ala atharihim muqtadun we found our forefathers on a particular religion and we are just following their footsteps i mean 
this shows to us that before we do anything, before we practice anything, we need to find out what the basis of that is. Where did it start? Where did it come from? In the Qur'an, when you look, there's proofs of the authenticity of the Qur'an, there's proofs of the truthfulness of the Prophet ﷺ. I mean, you have to put your trust in something. And there's so many arguments to prove that really you have to believe in things that you don't even see. Like for example, you haven't seen your own birth, for example. You haven't seen your own childhood when you were a baby. I mean, you don't remember anything of that. You trust what your parents tell you. So likewise, when it comes to religion, yes, you logically analyze it also. And you look at the Qur'an, you look at the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ, and you see them. Does it make sense? Is it logical? You see over here, Ibrahim is not criticizing the fact that they follow their forefathers only. He is asking them, what kind of worship are you doing? Do these beings hear you? Can they harm you? Can they benefit you? No, they cannot. We learned about the story of Musa How Fir'aun, he claimed to be God, and the arguments that Musa presented, the definition of God that he gave, clearly refuted the divinity of Fir'aun. Correct? So, our religion is not about blind faith. Remember, it's not about blind faith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Hakim. Isn't it? We believe that He is Al-Alim. We believe that this religion is a religion of, of justice. Justice is very important. So when you analyze the different components of this religion, you will find it to be Haqq. So anyway, they said, بَلْ وَجَدْنَا آبَاءَنَا كَذَلِكَ يَفْعَلُونَ This is what they used to do, and so we are also following them. Now many times in our you know, customs and traditions also, we do many things blindly without even thinking. You know, just in imitation of other people. Like for example, the way a wedding has to be celebrated, the way a particular party has to be done, the way we dress up, just because everybody is doing it, or just because our parents say this is how it's to be done, we do it the same way. But we need to see, the criteria is not the traditions of our family, the criteria is what? It's deen, it's religion. You know, for example, it could be cultural clothing. For example. But if our cultural clothing is such that it's revealing, basically a person is, you know, just a small lift of an arm and that's it, the whole stomach is being revealed, you could say that this is part of my culture, but Islamically is that correct? Would that be correct? That a woman dresses up like that and goes to a wedding party and she's sitting there and as she's eating, her stomach is being exposed, her back is being exposed. You could say it's a part of your heritage, your culture, you got it from back home. This is authentic, original material, whatever you call it. But if it contradicts the etiquette which our deen gives, then that is where we have to prefer the deen over the practice of our people. So, Ibrahim salam. now he says, Qala, he said, أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ Then have you seen, have you considered, مَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْبُدُونَ What you have been worshipping, كُنْتُمْ تَعْبُدُونَ You see, كُنْتُمْ Since a long time, always. What is it that you've been worshipping? أَنْتُمْ you وَآبَاؤُكُمْ Your fathers, الْأَقْدَمُونَ The ancient ones. الْأَقْدَمُونَ Plural of أَقْدَم أَقْدَم from قَاف دَال ميم. أقدم is that which is most ahead. So in other words, the earliest forefathers of yours, the most ancient ones even, even if they used to worship idols a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, thousand years ago, until today you're doing that, that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it right. So Ibrahim Islam is encouraging them, use your own mind also. Why are you following your forefathers without using your own mind, without reason? فَإِنَّهُمْ He said, indeed they. Indeed what? These idols that you have been worshipping, your forefathers have been worshipping, they are adwulli, an enemy to me. إِلَّا except رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ Lord of the worlds. Meaning Allah, the Lord of the worlds, He's not an enemy to me. But all of these gods, so-called gods that you've been worshipping, I declare them as my enemy. Why is he calling idols his enemy? And do we ever think of idols like that? Like for example, you see an idol somewhere. What is it that we generally appreciate? Its size, the way it's been made, the material that it's been made from. 
and we are very impressed by the fact that it's so old, it's so ancient. Ibrahim says, all these idols are my enemy. Why? Why are they his enemy? Why does he consider them to be enemies? Idols, what do they symbolize? Shirk. Associating partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And basically, idols, they are a means of turning people away from Allah. You see, Allah's haqq is that He should be worshipped. It is only His right. Now when that right is given to somebody else, something else, whatever, whoever it may be, that object, that person, that being, is basically competing with who? With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is being placed next to Allah. It is being given what Allah alone is deserving of. And is that fair? Not at all. Think about it. If there is something that you feel you deserve, somebody else also takes it. Do you take them as a friend? Do you take them as a friend? Not at all. Let me give you an example. Perhaps this will be easier for you to understand. If there is a woman and her husband marries another woman, so now he has two wives. The first wife, what is she going to do to the second wife? Ahlan wa sahlan. My best friend. Is that what she's going to say? I don't even want to know her name. Isn't it? Enemy. Enemy. Why? Competitor. Correct? Now, Ibrahim salam, true servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Someone who loved Allah. Yes, he could not tolerate that Allah's right should be given to somebody else. So anyone who was given the right of Allah, Ibrahim salam, took that as an enemy. And remember that shirk basically is what? It is diverting people from Allah. Anything that is worshipped besides Allah is stopping people from who? From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Come to me, don't go to Allah. Rival, competitor. So this teaches us that anything that prevents us from worshipping Allah alone, from loving Allah, from being His servants, then what is that thing, person, whatever it may be, what is it to us in reality? It is an enemy. Because it is stopping us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, فَإِنَّهُمْ عَدُوٌّ لِي إِلَّا رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ and also over here by declaring all of these idols as enemy, Ibrahim is challenging them. That if they are able to harm me, then let them do so. I declare them as enemy. If they can harm me, let them harm me. Let's see what happens. Then he defines who God really is. Who is Allah? And this is a beautiful introduction to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you ever want to tell somebody who Allah is, these are the ayat that you use. So what does Ibrahim salam say? He says, Alladhi, He is the one who, Rabbul Alameen, Lord of the worlds, is the one who, Khalaqani, He created me. I was nothing, I did not exist, He created me, He brought me into existence, Fahuwa Yahdini, Fahuwa, so He, Yahdini, He guides me. You see, Ni, Yahdini, Ni indicates me. So he is the one who created me from nothing and he is the one who guides me. Because who provides the instructions for the correct operation of a particular product? Who? The maker, the manufacturers. So he is the one who guides me. In Surah Al-A'la, Ayah 2 to 3, we learn, Alladhi khalaqa fasawa, walladhi qaddara, fahada. He created and he also guided. Surah Taha, Ayah 50, we learn, رَبُّنَا الَّذِي أَعْطَى كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلْقَهُ هَدَى Our Lord is the one who created everything, and He also guided. So Allah is who? The Creator. And also the Guide. وَالَّذِي And the one who, هُوَ He يُطْعِمُنِي He feeds me from ta'am. He gives me food to eat. وَيَسْقِينِي And He gives me drink. Meaning he gives me stuff that I can drink. Or he has given me the ability to drink. Yasqini. And again, yasqi and ni. Ni meaning me and yasqi meaning he gives water. He gives to drink. Meaning my raziq, my provider is who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is something that we really need to think about. Because generally we think that I buy my own food. 
I make the money and I go buy groceries. You know, I feed my family or my father feeds the family. My husband feeds the family. But who is the one who has provided us with food that we can actually eat? That we can actually consume? Who is it that has made all of this? Recently, there was this news about how people who are in space right now, in some space shuttle, I don't know exactly where, but they grew their own food, they grew their own lettuce in that aircraft, whatever that thing is. And it was a big, big milestone because now this means that they can go for longer trips in space and eat fresh food. They grew their own lettuce. And it was in all over the news. So, I mean, it is something amazing because you can't find food everywhere, can you? And even if you try to grow something, is it necessary that it will grow? No way. And even if you have food in front of you, is it necessary that you'll be able to eat it? No, it's not necessary. Because it's quite possible that you're about to eat something and somebody else comes and takes it away from your hand and they eat it. You're about to eat it and it falls. Hasn't it ever happened that you're trying to scoop up ice cream in your mouth and before it reaches your mouth it falls to the ground? How do you pick that ice cream up from the floor? You can't. Gone. So, he is the one who يُطْعِمُنِي وَيَسْقِينِي And then, having the ability to eat and drink the food that is available to us. Being in that you know, state of health that you can actually eat food. Because it's possible that because of a person's blood pressure issues or diabetes or something like that, food is available, but they cannot eat it. In pregnancy, what happens to women? Would you like to eat this? No. This? No. This? No. Yeah, I want that. And the moment it's given to her, I don't want it. I don't even want to look at it. Right? So he is the one who gives me to eat and also to drink. وَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ And when I am ill, I fall ill. Notice مَرِضْتُ Not when he makes me sick, rather I become sick. Earlier what was said, He created me, He guides me, He feeds me, He gives me to drink. And now when I fall ill, why I fall ill and not He makes me sick? Do we ever get sick without Allah's permission? Never. But why is he blaming himself for his sickness? Adab for Allah. Right? This is adab, respect for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because shal, evil, is not attributed to him. Meaning even though evil can only happen by Allah's permission, but we don't attribute evil to him in our speech. This is why, you know, there's a very common list of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and in that list is also Adar, the one who harms. That is first of all not from the Qur'an and Sunnah. Not at all. You don't find any hadith in which the name Abdar is mentioned. Right? It's not mentioned in the Qur'an either. It is true. Harm can only happen by Allah's will, His decree. But we don't attribute darar to Him. Why? Because this is disrespect. Alright? And remember that Allah does not like to inflict harm on His servants. He does not. Who is He? Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. In the surah, over and over we're learning, He is Al-Aziz and Al-Rahim. And if you think about it, when we do fall ill, who is to blame? Ourselves. It's our fault. Like for example, if you're down with a heat rash, whose fault was it? Your fault. Why were you out in the sun for so long without any protection? Why did you do that? If you had to be outside in the sun, you should have been wearing a hat, you should have been wearing sunscreen, making sure that you're drinking water, staying cool. And if you do end up with a heat rash and a headache, whose fault is it? Your fault. Don't blame Allah for that. Right? Likewise, if you have stomach issues, whose fault is that? Your fault. Why are you eating garbage food anyway? Right? So, وَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ When I do fall ill because of my own fault, فَهُوَ يَشْفِينِي Then He is the one who gives me shifa. He is the one who cures me. Meaning Allah is ash-shafi, the one who cures. In so many du'as of shifa, what do we read? That, أَنْتَ shafi Oh Allah, you are Ashafi, the one who gives cure, la shafiya illa anta. There is no one who can give cure except for you. 
there's a hadith in which we learn, this hadith is in Abu Dawood, that once a person came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, show me what is on your back for I am tabib. I am rajulun tabib. I am a doctor basically. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah tabib. Allah is the one who is tabib, meaning who cures people. Bal anta rajulun rafiq. You are a rafiq. Who is rafiq? One who is very kind, one who is very good to someone, who is helpful, meaning you're just trying to help me get better. That's all you can do. You can only help me get better. You can't cure me. The one who really gives cure is who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet said, طَبِيبُهَا الَّذِي خَلَقَهَا The one who will cure it is the one who created it. Meaning the one who created this disease. He is the one who can remove it. You cannot. Now does this mean that we cannot call doctors doctors? No, we can call them doctors, but not with this belief that I have to go to the doctor so I can get better. No, I have to go to the doctor so that he can help me figure out what's going on and help me get better. But the actual giver of cure is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Aisha radullahu anha said that when the Prophet ﷺ fell ill, I would put my hand on his chest. And I would say, أَذْهِبِ الْبَأْسَ رَبَّ النَّاسِ أَنْتَ الطَّبِيبُ وَأَنْتَ الشَّافِي That take away the ba's, the harm, O Lord of the people, you are a tabib and you are a shafi. Meaning you are the one who can cure, you are the one who can take this illness away. So, وَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينِي وَالَّذِي And the one who يُمِيتُنِي He will cause me to die. ثُمَّ يُحْيِينِي And then he will bring me to life. Notice the word ثُمَّ over here. ثُمَّ as opposed to فَ. فَ means, I told you yesterday, what does فَ mean? So as in immediately. Because you see, fa is shorter than thumma. So fa means right then and there, immediately. What happened next was such and such. Thumma also means then, but remember that thumma gives the meaning of tarahi also, a delay, a gap. Meaning, he will cause me to die, and then eventually, whenever he wants, when the day of judgment will happen, yuhyini, he will bring me back to life. وَالَّذِي And the one who أَطْمَعُ I aspire from طَمَعْ طَمِيمْعَيْن To desperately desire something. To yearn for something. So I yearn that أَنْ يَغْفِرَ لِي That he will forgive for me خَطِيئَتِي My sins يَوْمَ الدِّينَ On the day of recompense. I hope that he will forgive me my sins on the day of judgment. The fact is that only Allah can forgive sins. وَمَنْ يَغْفِرُ الدُّنُوبَ Allah. And Ibrahim السلام, what is his desire? That Allah will forgive him on the day of judgment. Because if a person is not forgiven on that day, then he is doomed. He is doomed. So I want that Allah should forgive me on the day of judgment. Now this is the Lord of the worlds that Ibrahim السلام, believed in. And on the contrary, the entire nation was blindly worshipping idols that were lifeless, that did nothing, neither harmed nor benefited. So with this definition of God, Ibrahim is basically challenging his people, this is what my Lord does. What does your God do? What do your idols do? So why are you devoted to those idols? Why don't you also believe in Allah, your Creator? Now some du'as of Ibrahim are mentioned. Rabbi, O my Lord, habli, grant me, you give me, hukman, wisdom, wa alhiqni, and join me, bisaliheen, with the righteous. O Allah, O my Lord, you gift, hukm to me. The word hab is from hiba. Wahaba, wauhaba is the root, and hiba is a gift. Now, when you're giving a gift to somebody, what kind of a gift do you like to give? Something that is useful. Okay. You know many times when you have to give a gift to somebody who is, like for example your friend or your sibling, it's easier. But when you have to give a gift to your parents, is it easy? No. Because you know that whatever you get for them, 
they can buy something much better than that. Isn't it? It's not that they need it. So this is why we find it so difficult to buy gifts for people that can afford everything or people that have everything they need. So then, what are you looking for? Something that they need that will be useful for them which they cannot get themselves. And many times it's not something tangible, it's something intangible. Right? Like for example, I know of somebody who gave a gift to someone of, this was a long time ago, of an iPod with the whole Qur'an recitation in it. This person whom they gave this gift to, they could afford tens of hundreds of iPods themselves. Right? They didn't give just an iPod. They gave an iPod that was filled with Qur'an recitation. You understand? So it was something useful for them, valuable for them. This is hiba. Something that a person cannot acquire himself. They need that it should be gifted to them. They cannot buy it, they cannot find it, they cannot get their hands on it. They need someone to give it to them. You know, like for example, you find out that your sister has been looking for a particular pen. And it's a $2 pen, for example. She's been going to every store possible, she hasn't found it. You happen to be at the dollar store one day and you find that exact same pen. Aren't you going to buy it for her? Isn't she going to be happy? Why is she happy? Because it costs only $2? Because it's very expensive and pricey? No way! Why is she happy? Because that is what she needed. She couldn't get her hands on it. And you fulfilled her need. You gave her exactly what she wanted. So Ibrahim when he's saying, Oh Allah, you gift me hukum. Meaning, I cannot get hukum myself. I cannot acquire it myself. I need you to give it to me. This is habli hukman. Now the question is, what is hukum? It's generally translated as judgment or wisdom. In the context of prophets, it's understood as prophethood. Over here, rather the definition of hukum is, al-hukum is that you learn good, you learn what is good, and then you also act upon it. So it's knowledge, and the ability to implement that knowledge. Don't we all desperately need this from Allah? Because can we make ourselves learn something? No. I mean, we can try. But what happens many times? We're trying, 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 but still we cannot learn. It's as if we have read a particular paragraph like 50 times and still when we're asked to recall the basic information in it, we cannot produce it, we cannot say it. Why is it so difficult to write your translation tests? Why? Is it that you haven't studied? Of course you've studied, but what happens? You cannot recall that information. Ilm only comes when Allah gives it to a person. When Allah facilitates it for an individual. Have you seen that video of this teenager who knows more than 20 languages? Hmm? Literally, more than 20 languages. It was quite amusing actually speaking Arabic and then Mandarin and then Urdu. And with the proper accent, proper accent, Russian, French... Hebrew, English. Basically, this kid has learned all of these languages through YouTube or through different apps or things like that available on the internet. Self-taught, basically. Now, I was thinking, so many people try to learn languages, don't they? You get this app, fancy app, you pay so much money for it, you get that, you know, that translator dictionary and you try to translate every word, but it just doesn't go in. Knowledge is only facilitated when Allah gives it to a person. Now, this is one step, acquiring knowledge. What is even more challenging is using that knowledge, implementing that knowledge. So, Rabbi Habli Hukman. Oh Allah, you give me. You gift it to me. I cannot practice, practice, practice and, and get this myself. I'm trying, I'm doing my best, but you gift this to me. Knowledge and its implementation. Rabbi habli hukman wa alhiqni bisalihin and O Allah, join me with the righteous. What does it mean by that? Meaning give me righteous company. And alhiqni bisalihin means join me, meaning make me similar to them in amal, in actions, in my habits. 
so that eventually I am with them in the hereafter. We think al-hiqni bi-salihin means that Allah join me with a group of people who are very pious. So that when I'm amongst them, I also become like them. And then we think, oh, but I'm still working. I'm still in school. I haven't moved, I haven't done hijrah yet. I haven't moved to such and such country. I still haven't found a very righteous spouse. You know, we think like that. We think righteous company is in the physical space that we occupy. That in school, at work, in my house, oh Allah surround me with righteous people. This is not what Al-Hiqni Bissalihin means. Al-Hiqni Bissalihin means, oh Allah, give me the ability to do the actions of the righteous. So that eventually I am with them. Yes, having righteous company while we are alive, while we are living in this world, that is definitely helpful. But it's not necessary. Because Ibrahim salam, look at his life. How was he? First of all, in his people for such a long time. Then what happened? Finally when he leaves them, he makes hijrah. How many people are with him? Two people. Sarah and Lut salam. Lut salam, he's given prophethood and he's sent to another people. Now Ibrahim salam and Sarah are on their own. Then what happens? They go to Egypt, eventually Palestine. Ibrahim salam has no children. Then Hajar comes in their life. Then she has a child. And then he has to leave her in Mecca. Traveling all the time, back and forth, alone. We see Ibrahim was basically alone. So Al-Hiqni Bissalihin, does this mean Allah did not accept his dua? What does it mean? That give me righteous company in the Akhirah, forever. And this is what matters the most. You know, a man once asked the Prophet ﷺ that when will the Day of Judgment be? And he said, what have you prepared for it? And the man said, nothing except that I love Allah and His Messenger. So the Prophet ﷺ said, you will be with those whom you love. And the Sahaba said, when they heard about this, they were really happy. You will be with those whom you love. Because they loved Rasulullah ﷺ. They loved the Prophets of Allah. So the narrator of this hadith, he said, that I love the Prophet Abu Bakr. Umar, and I hope that I will be with them because of my love for them, though my deeds are not similar to theirs. And we also hope that because of our love for them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us their company. Waja'ali and make for me Lisana Sidqin a mention of truth, honorable mention, reputation of honor, fil akhirin among the later ones, meaning among the later generations. The people who will come after me, they say lisan al-sidqin about me. What is lisan? Tongue. Literally, lisan is for tongue. But remember that lisan is also used for language. And from that, also used for speech. So lisan, don't translate it as tongue over here. Okay? All group in charges, if anybody writes tongue for lisan, for this ayah, please cut their marks. Okay? Alright, so lisan over here doesn't mean tongue. What does it mean? Speech, mention. And sidqin. What does sidq mean? Truth. Now, lisan al-sidqin, it means a good mention, which is also true. Meaning that somebody is being praised for their goodness, but it's not fake praise. Or rather, it's not that people are making up good things about them. No, they're actually that good that their good deeds are worth mentioning. Alright? So Ibrahim salam's dua is that, Oh Allah, when I die and people come after me, when they mention me, first of all, they mention me, they remember me for what? For my deeds. And what they say about me, whatever good they say about me is also true. Now tell me something. When is it that we mention people of the past? Why do we mention them? They're important for what they said, for what they did. Some are important in a good way, others are important in a bad way. Like for example, Abu Jahl. He's known, famous. In a good way or a bad way? Bad way. So, Lisana Sidqin means, I am well known for my good even after I am gone. So that when people mention me, they take me as an example. So that they can follow my footsteps. And as a result, I attain even more reward. 
Remember the dua at the end of Surah Furqan of Ibadur Rahman? وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ imama. Make us a leader, meaning an example, a model for those who are righteous. And we see that Ibrahim alayhi dua has been accepted. Isn't it? That in the Qur'an Allah mentions Ibrahim alayhi Making him an example for us. وَجَعَلْنِي And make me مِنْ from وَرَثَةٍ Inheritors, heirs. Of what? Of Jannatin Naim, of the garden of pleasure. Make me an heir of the garden of pleasure. Meaning, make me of those people who will enter Jannah. Why is the word waratha used? Waratha is the plural of warith. Why inheritance? How is entering Jannah getting inheritance? We learn, for example, that for every individual, there is a place that is reserved for them in Jannah and Jahannam. So every single one of us, a place is dedicated for us. Where? A place in Jannah and a place in Jahannam. And we blame Allah. Like seriously, Allah has reserved a place in both places. It's up to us which one we take with our deeds, with our iman. So, when some people will not make it to Jannah, they will end up in hell, what will happen to their place in Jannah? It will be given to who? The residents of Jannah. What about hellfire? What will happen to hellfire? It will be shrunk. It will be shrunk. In the Qur'an, for example, we learn that Jahannam will keep saying, هَلْ مِنْ مَزِيد? Are there any more? Meaning there's more space in me. It's still not fully occupied. هَلْ مِنْ مَزِيد? هَلْ مِنْ مَزِيد? Are there more? And it will keep saying that until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place His foot on hellfire, causing it to contract, come together, shrink. Allah's mercy overcomes His anger. Remember that. His mercy is greater than the punishment that He gives to people. And also remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He created Adam alayhi salam, where was Adam alayhi salam placed? In Jannah. You know, I always wonder, why didn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala simply send Adam alayhi salam straight to dunya? Why not? Before He created Adam, didn't He say to the angels, إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةً Meaning this khalifa is going to go where? Fil ard. But when Adam was created, Hawa was created, where were they placed? In Jannah. And this Jannah was actual Jannah. It wasn't just a garden somewhere in the world. It was actual Jannah. And then what happened? Iblis was also allowed to go there. And Iblis tempted them. The stay of Adam in Jannah, what does that show? That this is what is intended for you. This is where you should be. This is what Allah wants for you. That you come and live in this place. This is your real home. Jannah is your real home. But then what happened? When shaitan tempted them, and they disobeyed their Lord, Adam and repented, but what happened? Ihbitu. All of you get down. Adam, Hawa, shaitan, everyone. Go down where? To the world. And now this life is a test. Go back home. Do something so that you can go back to where you should be. This is not a place where we have to be forever. No way. We're gonna die. So, وَجَعَلْنِي مِنْ وَرَثَةِ جَنَّةٍ Meaning those who will inherit the actual house, the actual home. So give me a residence in Jannah. وَغْفِرْ لِأَبِي And O oh Allah, forgive my father. إِنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الضَّالِّينَ Indeed, he has been of those astray. This is the dua of Ibrahim a.s. for who? For his father. His father, remember, when Ibrahim a.s. left him, he said that I will make dua for you. And Ibrahim a.s. continued to make dua for his father, meaning for his guidance. But when the father of Ibrahim a.s. died upon his shirk, then it was evident that his father was an enemy to Allah. And then Ibrahim did not make dua for him anymore because Allah forbade him from doing so. And this teaches us that as long as a person is alive, we need to make dua for them. We must make dua for them. Meaning if there is a non-Muslim, relative, friend, whoever it may be, we must make dua for their guidance, for their forgiveness in this world. And remember that any dua that we make for them, that oh Allah show mercy on them, or forgive them, what does it mean essentially? That give them the ability to believe, give them Islam. 
But once they die, then no dua for them. Even if a person makes a thousand du'as for them, they will not be accepted. As we learn in Surah Tawbah, Ayah 114, فَلَمَّا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ أَنَّهُ عَدُوٌّ لِلَّهِ تَبَرَّأَ مِنْهِ Ibrahim ﷺ, when he learned that his father was an enemy to Allah, then he dissociated himself from his father. So forgive my father. And notice, Ibrahim ﷺ is making dua for his father, even though his father is of Abdalin. This is something amazing. That no matter who our parents are, no matter how they are, no matter what kind of actions they've been doing, no matter what kind of sins they may be involved in, because they raised us, what is necessary that we make dua for them? I mean, in the Quran, Allah teaches us, "Waqul Rabbir Because the person who has looked after us deserves that we make dua for them, regardless of their religion, regardless of their sins, their deeds, whatever it is, we must make dua for them. And we learn that Ibrahim alayhi father. On the Day of Judgment, what will happen? The Prophet ﷺ said, this is a hadith in Bukhari, that on the Day of Resurrection, Ibrahim ﷺ will meet his father Azar, whose face will be dark and covered with dust. The Prophet Ibrahim ﷺ will say to him, didn't I tell you not to disobey me? And his father will say, today I will not disobey you. So Ibrahim ﷺ, he will try to intercede for his father, saying, O oh Lord, you promised me not to disgrace me on the Day of Resurrection. You promise me that you will not disgrace me on the day of resurrection. And what will be more disgraceful to me than the dishonor of my father? So Allah will say, I have forbidden paradise for the disbelievers. Meaning it doesn't matter, O Ibrahim, even if he's your father, he cannot go to Jannah. And then Ibrahim will be told, O Ibrahim, look, what is there at your feet? And he will look and there he will see a a particular animal, stained with dung and dirt, and it will be dragged to hellfire. So basically, Ibrahim will be protected from disgrace in the sense that he will not see his father's face in hell. His father will be changed so that he is also given his punishment and Ibrahim is also spared from embarrassment and sadness. وَلَا تُخْزِنِي يَوْمَ يُبْعَثُونَ And oh my Lord, do not disgrace me on the day that they will be resurrected. What do we learn from this? That no matter who a person is, even if it's Ibrahim Khalil of Allah, his shafa'a will not be accepted for who? For those who don't deserve it. For those who don't deserve it. وَلَا تُخْزِنِي يَوْمَ يُبْعَثُونَ Do not disgrace me on the day that they will be resurrected. What is the disgrace of the day of judgment? Think about it. What makes us feel embarrassed? Have you ever been embarrassed? When? When your mistakes are exposed. That is very, very embarrassing. Isn't it so difficult to look at your test paper that has been marked? Isn't it? I mean, maybe some assignment that you tried your best to do and then when you get it back, you're afraid to even look at it. I remember doing this in my life many times. You know, you receive your test paper, don't even look at it, just put it in your bag and pretend like nothing has happened. And then when you're all alone, then just take it out and take a a glimpse at it. Alhamdulillah, I passed. You know, Alhamdulillah. It's something that's very... Difficult to see your own mistakes. So the disgrace of the Day of Judgment is that a person's sins are revealed before him, exposed before him, and Allah does not cover them, Allah does not wipe them off, Allah does not forgive him for his sins. Have you ever seen a video of yours, maybe from your baby years? Or some pictures? Yesterday, okay. Isn't it embarrassing? You ask your parents, why did you take a picture of mine in a diaper? Like, what's so funny about that? What's so memorable about that? Why? It's embarrassing to see those pictures. Likewise, on the Day of Judgment, when we will see pictures, images of us committing sins, disobeying our Lord, that will be embarrassing. Some people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will preserve their honor by asking them in privacy, alone, and then telling that person, that I concealed your sins for you in the world, and today I forgive them for you. And others will be embarrassed when their sins will be displayed, when they will not be forgiven. Oh Allah, 
save us from that humiliation. So Ibrahim السلام, he will be protected from this disgrace on the day of judgment. In Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah 130, we learn, وَإِنَّهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ لَمِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ Recitation. وَاتْلُ عَلَيْهِمْ نَبَأَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ إِذْ قَالَ لِأَبِيهِ وَقَوْمِهِ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ قَالُوا نَعْبُدُ أَصْنَامًا فَنَظَلُّ لَهَا عَاكِفِينَ قَالَ هَلْ يَسْمَعُونَكُمْ إِذْ تَدْعُونَ أَوْ يَنْفَعُونَكُمْ أَوْ يَضُرُّونَ قَالُوا بَلْ وَجَدْنَا آبَاءَنَا كَذَلِكَ يَفْعَلُونَ قَالَ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْبُدُونَ أَنْتُمْ وَآبَاؤُكُمُ الْأَقْدَمُونَ فَإِنَّهُمْ عَدُوٌ لِي إِلَّا رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ الَّذِي خَلَقَنِي فَهُوَ يَهْدِينَ وَالَّذِي هُوَ يُطَعِمُنِي وَيَسْقِينَ وَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ وَالَّذِي يُمِيتُنِي ثُمَّ يُحْيِينَ وَالَّذِي أَطْمَعُ أَنْ يَغْفِرَ لِي خَطِيئَتِي يَوْمَ الدِّينَ رَبِّ هَبْ لِي حُكْمًا وَأَلْحِقْنِي بِالصَّالِحِينَ وَاجْعَلْ لِي لِسَانَ صِدْقٍ فِي الْآخِرِينَ وَاجْعَلْنِي مِنْ وَرَثَةِ جَنَّةٍ نَعِيمٍ وَاغْفِرْ لِأَبِي إِنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الضَّالِّينَ وَلَا تُخْزِنِي يَوْمَ يُبْعَثُونَ 